the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. We're here. It's 1155. We got in before midnight, fellas. We are your live podcast, breaking down every single play of Washington, Oregon State, San Jose State, UNLV. Currently, San Jose State holding a 17-10 lead, 17-7 in Washington, Oregon State. We are holding on hope for our Beavs plus 13 and a half as one of the last locks of the day. That will be decided probably after this concludes. But, gentlemen, uh, big week 11 in the books. I feel like it was one where uh, – what's up, San Jose State touchdown? Uh, I feel like it was one where we've got um, a limited slate. Like, we lost a lot of games. 12 of the 25 teams that are ranked in the AP poll were not in action. Some of them because of scheduled off weeks. Some of them because their games were postponed or canceled. But at the same time, we got Wisconsin back in action. Uh, we got – Notre Dame with a really stellar performance. Uh, we got uh, some interesting twists and turns within the Big Ten as we continued to uh, get our hands on these teams and get more data points. I mean, where where do you guys want to begin? Where do I want to begin or where do I think we should begin? For the listeners let's, or for you? Let's start, let's start at the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> just the yeah. rock bottom valley of Michigan. Ah, uh, University of Michigan. Is it is it worth the content? Because I feel like if this this game could have gone better for content purposes, but it was just so blatant, so early. Like it, the only thing I've got for Michigan coming out of this, in terms of something that is exciting to talk about, outside of like a will, and I'm making fun of myself. And I'm making fun of this podcast because a headline of the podcast was, would we fire Jim Harbaugh? I was capitalizing on the Jim Harbaugh hot takes when I was trying to entice listeners to come and listen to us. I thought our conversation was worthy and not hot takey, but quarterback competition, right? Quarterback debate. At least we got that at Michigan. Yeah, I... I Kate, Kate McNamara came in and his first drive, he was three for three. Made three really nice throws, led Michigan on its only touchdown drive of the night, but that quickly kind of faded. <laughs> he, he went one for four on his next five throws. So maybe maybe the Q, the QB controversies it's it's going to be an open competition going forward. But I just at at the very least, when he came in and he made the throws, and they were nice throws again, especially the touchdown throw and a throw before to set up the touchdown. 
it really did seem to energize Michigan for a couple minutes there because like the defense came out on the very next drive and probably played with more energy than I'd seen it play with at any point in the game. But then after it stopped Wisconsin and forced the Badgers to punt, it got it got called for a running into the punter penalty that gave Wisconsin a first down and it just completely they went completely flat again and it was just because it was like the third time tonight that Michigan did something that it thought was going to be to its benefit. And it, you know, it quickly turned like in the first half, there was a fumble, which was ruled a fumble. Uh, Danny Davis caught the ball, turned, got hit, dropped the ball. Michigan recovers it. It's ruled a fumble. They review it. I, I can't remember the ref's name on the ABC crew, but the guy, the in studio or the in booth referee is on there like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that play is going to stand. That's a fumble. That's a football move. He had control of it. Ref on the field disagrees, says, nope, incomplete pass. So Michigan loses it right there. Then in the second half, same kind of thing where the ball's ruled a fumble. Michigan recovers. This one really was an incomplete pass though. And then they get that stop. Rough running into the punter, give up the first down. And then also early in the first half, they had like a third and goal, six yard t- touchdown pass to Chris Evans. He scores. Nope. Pawn review. He was down at about the half yard line. So they go for it on fourth and goal. Joe Milton, the quarterback draw, gets stuffed at the goal line. It was just Michigan was like, like last week we were talking about Jim Harbaugh saying, you know, this team's close. There were four times tonight where Michigan was kind of close to something good happening, and then it got ripped away from them each time. So, uh, yeah, Michigan is is not good. I feel safe saying it. So, Chip, you said, like, is it worth the content because you don't like the, the content from this game is going to be boring or whatever. I mean, it's not the micro content that's interesting about this. It's the macro content, the just, oh, my God, this is like a historically bad Michigan team. Or they're getting beat in historically bad fashion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was the worst loss uh, since 1930-something. Yeah, and, and, and the 28 and, and to nothing deficit at halftime was the largest deficit they've had at home since 1927. Yeah. They had... I just looked. I'm sure there's all kinds of stats like this. I just looked it up myself just to see what I like. But of their 11 offensive drives, eight of them were three plays or fewer. And Wisconsin didn't have a three and out all game. In the last two seasons against Wisconsin, they're 80. They've now scored 84 to 24. They're bad. And and so I I was thinking about this um, because there's so much context for all of these coaches in a season like this in the Frankenstein 2020 season it's uh you know like have you coined that the Frankenstein 2020 season yeah uh I think I heard Frankenstein somewhere I think I've stole that I don't know who I stole it from but I think I heard that it's not bad it's pretty good yeah so in this season where nothing really matters and you don't know who's playing with shorthanded, who's, who had spring practice, who didn't. Like, it shouldn't count. It should be a, 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 a mulligan for everybody, right? Like, we can, we can almost, like, universally agree that, that theoretically none of this should count. And that includes for Jim Harbaugh. That includes for every, every coach that's failing right now. It shouldn't count. But here's the reality is, like – the the reverberations from this season you might you might want to say it's not all it's not, none of it's real but the reverberations are real like the consequences are real 
the the confidence blow that you get when you lose to Wisconsin 49-11 to is real. The recruiting implications that come out of these sort of losses are real. The, the lack of development that you get in your offense and, and cohesiveness and, and, the, and the way your, your team can grow and find leadership and, and the lack of the ability of doing that is all real. And so when you're looking at, and that's why I'm thinking about like this from a, from a decision maker standpoint, like an athletic director standpoint, like when they're, when they're asked to make these decisions, financially, it might not make sense. Optically, it doesn't make sense because of the, the current times, but can, can some of these ADs and administrators afford not to make a move? I don't care if South Carolina is 2-8, but it's a good 2-8 because it's an SEC season. Can you afford not to make a move based on how this is going to affect the future of this program? And Michigan is the best example of that because Michigan is going down a deep, dark, deep, dark hole right now. And this is this feels like it doesn't can't get much worse than this, but but you know it can because they got Ohio State eventually this season too. Yeah, it's I I still don't think he's going to get fired though. I think that if he leaves, it's going to be at the end of the season, and it's going to be like by a mutual agreement type of deal. Like it's going to be like, well, oh, you I know. agree. I, yeah, I'm still not saying he's going to get fired mid season. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I agree with that. But I do I do think that, I mean, depending on how much worse this gets, I think that like the chances of it happening, I feel like increase and have increased every single week. Cause it's just, I, it's going to be hard for anybody to know how much to like, like you call it the Frankenstein season. It's going to be hard to know how much to really put on the coaching staff or anything in a season like this one, as far as like the impact of just whatever the hell this season is supposed to be on a team. Cause like, would Michigan have been this bad had it just been a regular year? Possibly. I mean, the way that they've played, I don't think we could completely rule it out, but it's just, I, I, I don't know. I don't see how things, because like some Michigan fans and a lot of the national media were kind of, you know, harsh about Michigan and the fact of what it hasn't been able to do the last few years, but still at the base of the program, while it wasn't competing for a playoff or big 10 titles, it was still having good years. It was still a solid foundation. And you're going into this year, and even if it's somewhat of a kind of supposed to be a step back kind of season, like, you know, they lost a lot of key players from last year that got to replace them, a very strange offseason. Even if it was good, you're expecting a slight step backward. This is just completely like I have, I don't think anybody could have seen anything like this coming. Like, okay, maybe they would lose a couple games they didn't expect them to lose, but I wouldn't expect them to be as completely embarrassed as they've been in these losses so far. And I mean, there were times tonight where I just didn't feel like anybody on the team gave a shit. But are and they think- are they going to lose to Rutgers? That's where this like this is. Uh, I mean, this was submitted like the ultimate because it would be funny. Play is going to be to jump on Rutgers. Next that week, be funny. That would that not be funny. be funny. That would be that's sad. A, yeah, because that's that the thing. Would be like, very, very <laughs> sad. I don't. I don't think this team will lose to Rutgers next week. But I can't say that they won't. Like, I can't sit here and say, "Oh no, no, no." There's no way they're going to lose to Rutgers. They could. Penn very right, well so could. Basically, what we've got is we got Rutgers, which would be sad. Penn State at home, which I mean, that game is sad. That game is. 
Is it supposed to be in prime time? I'm sure because it's Michigan and Penn State, we're gonna have move it to like, noon, please. Move it to noon. <laughs> we're gonna have some big time national broadcast for Michigan and Penn State. But Rutgers, Penn State, and Maryland, there are three winnable games there for the Wolverines. Like I'm I'm not ready to jump ship yet on the season, at least it being explained. In the as we were sitting here, I looked it up and I thought, all right, so Richrod went three and nine in year one. He also had a five and seven in there. Brady Hoke bottomed out at five and seven. So I was thinking in this Frankenstein year is 500 or somewhere around there kind of possible. Yes. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, it's possible that Wisconsin and Indiana are the two best, like outside of Ohio state, the two best teams that Michigan's going to play all year. I, it, the weird thing is it's like I mentioned and we could talk about it with Penn State too, because we're gonna have to see how that goes. But like when I was watching them tonight, like I said, there was definitely a kind of sense of whatever. It's done. Who cares? None of the, we're not even supposed to be here. This is ridiculous. And I wonder if we're gonna see now that Penn State's 0 and four, if a lot of players in that team kind of adopt the same kind of feeling towards the rest of the season. I think that is gonna be the most interesting aspect for Jim Harbaugh, for James Franklin. I think it's going to be the toughest thing that they've done as head coaches yet, where you're Michigan, you're one and three, you're Penn state, you're Oh, and four. You're looking around at the way the things working right now. Games are getting canceled. Games are getting postponed. You're stuck having to follow all these rules. You know, like Michigan's got the mantra, you know, stay positive, test negative. So you've got to follow all these guidelines at one point. Some of these guys, you know, are already there where they're just going to say F it. Who cares? What does any of this matter at this point? That so, doesn't sound like a Michigan man. And it sounds like a human being. Yeah. <laughs> there was a stat uh, that ESPN tweeted out in the first half. Michigan's defense has zero sacks and has forced zero turnovers in the last five halves of football. They're the first Big team, 10 team over the last 15 seasons to not have to not record a sack or take away in five consecutive halves. Um. Chris Hummer in our 24-7 Slack room made this comment. He said, I would have bet my life savings in Michigan wouldn't be the Big Ten team to do that, which is – like I think that's exactly the uh, – that's a great point in that this is a Don Brown defense. The whole point – like if you're the whole point of running this defense is to create turnovers and create sacks. Like it, this is just a bad team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, I mean, I'm embarrassed that I bet them – <laughs> yeah, not, but 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 honestly, like, you're, so you're not being them. a sore you're not being a sore loser here. You you are right in that. Like you you believe this is a bad team. You believe no, that do. okay? Yeah, but but like uh, part of the reason I bet Wisconsin was because uh, there was so much uncertainty in Wisconsin, and even coming into the game, like first of all, how how sharp was Graham Mertz going to be? And he really like it didn't have to be that. He sharp. wasn't great. Was, yeah, okay, yeah. And but then they they showed a graphic of like all these guys that are out. Like they're starting running back, two of their best defensive players. Um, like they weren't. That this was not even a full strength Wisconsin team. So, whatever. It's just, this is bad. It's just, a, it's just not a good Michigan team. The good news is Michigan did get a sack in the second half. I saw that Carlo Kemp got him one so, right. So yeah. good for them. Things are turning around. That's right. So is Wisconsin good? Yeah, I do think yeah. they're good. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, like Bart was just touching on, Mertz wasn't the same kid we saw against Illinois. 
Like he was, you could tell, he, you could tell he's a kid that had to, you know, quarantine for two weeks and really wasn't able to practice all that much in the last week. And it, it, there was a long layoff, but he still <clears throat> looks like a very talented QB. And that is still a very imposing offense. Cause I mean, they ran all over Michigan here. Now it's, I looked it up in the last two seasons in the games against Michigan in the last two years, Wisconsin has rushed for 700 yards and 10 touchdowns in two games. It was 361 today or something like that, right? Yeah, and it was 349 last year. Jeez. Less than ideal. No, less than ideal. Great. No. Um, (laughs) So how long until, uh, Barton, I know you didn't play video games. But yeah, how long until like the superstar runs out for Ian Book? Like how much longer? Oh, oh, like the like like the, like the invincibility or like what you know whatever he's got like whatever video game level up that uh, that you want to use for Ian Book because even Brian Kelly after the game was out here like he was given compliments suggesting that he he didn't even use Ian Book's name. Did y'all hear that? No. He said, uh, is Ian Book, you know, great performance. He said, yeah, well, you know, when when the quarterback levels up to play well against Clemson, you know, that's really what you need. And he played even better today. The quarterback played even better today. Like, like I don't know what kind <laughs> of like, beef is there is between Brian Kelly and Ian Book. But it, it's almost Ohio State, Michigan, where he just won't use Ian Book's name, but showered him with praise for saying that uh, Ian Book, yes, was one of the reasons that they beat Clemson. And yes, played even better uh, in this follow-up game against Boston College, like Kyron Williams was a a little bit limited. He was out of the game with an undisclosed injury. I, I don't know if we have any further details on what the specifics of that were. Uh, they went with Sebo of Fleischer a lot in the second Flemster. half. Flemster, yeah. Flemster in the second half. But uh, Ian Book was the, the team's best rusher. He had a, a rushing touchdown. He had three passing touchdowns. Uh, fantastic performance from the senior quarterback for the Fighting Irish. So, like, I don't know. Notre Dame still has North Carolina left. Um, they've got a week off until then. I kind of feel like we're in a position where I'm not ready to pencil in Notre Dame being undefeated going into championship week. But, I mean, not – and, again, this is not me reversing on my pick after going so hard for Boston College. I feel like Boston College did the things that Boston College needed to do to cover the spread. I just thought Ian Book was better. Yeah, I think Ian Book is like you remember there was a I mean when when we were looking at Ian Book as the as the limiting factor for Notre Dame, there was this feeling, there was always this feeling when Ian Book was in the game that like things were just moving a little bit too fast for him. Mm-hmm. Like it was just a little bit over his head. And it was almost like, you know, you you've been playing on the in the 12 year old league in baseball. And then you move up to the 13 year old league and guys are throwing curveballs and uh, just, you got just, this isn't something you've seen before. Right. And so you, you just take some time to get used to the speed of the pitch. Uh, and this year it's just, it's different. Like that, that Boston college game I thought was the best example of it yet. Like there were moments where when he's getting pressured, there's no panic. There's the body clock is slow. He's, He's spinning out, knowing full well like where's where the rush is coming from, where he needs to go. He's just like calmly backpedaling away from pressure and then stepping up and making a throw. 
he, he's just, it's just a, an ease. And I think a lot of that is Ian Book, obvi- I mean, obviously. But I think a lot of that also is, is just, it feels like the offense is more complete. It feels like the, he's being Avery coached. Davis. Avery Davis has stepped up. Uh, obviously, you know, we've got great tight end play that's coming in right now. There are a lot of pieces that are coming in and Boston college committed so heavily to being like, we are not going to get beat by the running backs. And that opened up a lot for Ian book to be able to take off quarterback design runs and on the keepers on some of those zone reads. Like Notre Dame's got a sick offense. Like it, it's defense didn't play well against Boston college. But it, Notre Dame's got Notre Dame is as the last person hanging on the sad train of this Georgia podcast. Notre Dame's what Georgia wish it what wishes it was. That's okay. That's true. Uh, I, I, I think the like with the defense too, and and there's something I kind of noticed with Notre Dame a lot on defense is just that it's it's not an overwhelming like dominant defense, but it just when you get in the red zone, it's going to be real hard to score points. Like you're going to have to earn everything you get. You're going to like, and I think that's in today's defenses. I think like yards don't matter. Points don't even really matter that much. It's like score, score less than you, than, than you do, but it's, it's, you know, field goals, not touchdowns. It's, you know, extended drives. It's limit the big plays and Notre Dame. They just do a, do a good job of just doing enough to win on defense. And I think that's I think that point about Notre Dame being Georgia is is a very astute one because like the biggest question we had about Notre Dame coming into the year was like we knew it was talented. We knew we knew they had it all. We were just like, well, the limitation's gonna be the quarterback. And in that's it's that same kind of situation with Georgia, except you know, you just replace quarterback with offense because Notre Dame's offense, we knew that the way that they played was fine. It was just could Ian Book step up and do it? And Ian Book has. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for it because, like you were saying, Barton, I think that he's reached the point where the game is slowed down for him and he's seeing things. But I also think Tommy Reese is probably deserving of some Ooh, of that credit. I agree. Too because, no, I agree. Yeah, Reese has done a fantastic job of you know, putting his off, putting his guys in the best position to succeed and doing what works for them and not asking them to do things that they can't. And I think that that has had a huge impact on Notre Dame this year and Ian Book, because I think that he's just sticking with the things that Ian Book has excelled at and always been good at. And it's working really well for him. And Ian Book has, again, he's, he's jumping up that level where it's like, all right. I don't mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he's got an NFL future all of a sudden, because I'm not sure about that, but I feel like if he keeps going at this rate, that is something that is far more likely than I would have thought it was even three weeks ago. I saw um, Dane Brugler from The Athletic, who's like their NFL draft guy. I think it was him that tweeted this. He said, uh, like, Ian Book is, his career is progressing in the way that Shea Patterson's was supposed to, right? Yeah. Like, I, th- I think he is going to be, an, I think he's going to be a drafted guy. I think he's going to be a drafted quarterback. I think he's going to be a, a backup that spends several years in the NFL. He's never going to be a starter, I don't think. But I, th- I, I think he's playing himself into being an NFL quarterback. Is Kyle Trask an NFL quarterback? Maybe. We'll see. I'm, I mean, he's... <laughs> Is Kyle Trask a Heisman Trophy contender? Yes. He's a Heisman Trophy favorite. Favorite? Is he the favorite? You put him over Justin Fields? Yeah. Really? He, he, I mean, the, I mean, look, well, Justin Fields had a two game body of work. I mean, he's 
got some some time to to build that resume up. But who's playing? Like no one is playing better than Kyle Trask right now. Nobody. And and you can. But you watch passes. You watch passes all the time. You evaluate talent, and you just see that sweet sailing ball from Kyle Trask, and you think he's a Heisman Trophy favorite. It's a soft ball, but it's always in the right place. Like it's always and to and tonight, uh, Kyle Pitts wasn't there. You can't just say he's just throwing it up to Kyle Pitts. Like and that was a really Danny good War- Arkansas Danny pass Warfel, defense too. Danny Warfel ran the uh, won the Heisman. Like, did he not deserve it? I don't know. I, I'm not saying like, and I think Kyle Trask is more talented than Danny Warfel. I'm not saying he's he's some Danny Warfel fraud. I'm just saying like, I don't know what like what's the argument against Kyle Trask? You are such a Florida hate. <laughs> <laughs> what? The, I don't know what the argument is against Kyle Trask because the, the the arguments against Kyle Trask, like the argument I made against Kyle Trask last year, was okay. He's a great player, but. He's a facilitator. I, I don't know if I ever said he's a great player. I said he's a facilitator. Like, they, they don't ask him to do a whole lot in that offense. They, they just ask him to throw slants and quick game and, and stay. When they're really running up like 200 yards of receiving to running backs, that is the scheme. Like, that is an outward. That is. Saying, but, I'm, I'm not, but, but, like, how long are we going to, like, dismiss Kyle Trask because he has a good coach? I mean, he's, he's, he doesn't miss. I mean, he, that that counts for something. I know, but we're also talking about the Heisman Trophy, not like are you a good quarterback? So, all right. So then, best in the SEC, sure. Yeah, like and Mac Jones is a good debate. Kyle Trask and Mac Jones is a fantastic debate. And both of those guys are. I mean, Mac Jones is is putting himself in a position to be a Heisman finalist and, and potential favorite too. I mean. Yeah. I think they're both going to be finalists. I think that Trask at a minimum is a finalist. And I do think there's a very good case to make for him winning it because like I mentioned, Justin Fields, Justin Fields is the favorite, but has Justin Fields outplayed Kyle Trask or is Justin Fields just ahead of Kyle Trask because he was expected to be ahead of Kyle Trask. But I think, I think if Fields keeps playing the way he's been playing and Ohio state keeps winning, then it's going to be really difficult for anybody to you know surpass him at this point. But I do think that Trask is having a magnificent season. What do you want? And, what do you, what do you you guys want Trask to do like oh nothing for, like throw for like 700 yards in a game or something no I think he's I, I'm not I like Chip's dog and his I, arm I, strength I'm not the, the I'd like to see him run win the I'd, I'd like to see that thick neck boy run I'd like to see him be a rushing threat <laughs> I, mean, I, yeah, I don't like when it comes to evaluating his NFL future okay then I'll talk about his arm strength and some of the soft tosses that he's making but as far as just winning the Heisman I don't care about any of that as far as his Heisman credentials are concerned. So no, I th- he's got really pretty paper airplanes that land in the hands of receivers <laughs> that are fantastically talented. That's You're a right. great description of it. He does <laughs> throw a beautiful Aider. paper airplane. And those things are catchable. They are catchable. Silky Johnson over here. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Um, I don't know, man. Like the we're on this awful collision course where it just feels like Alabama and Florida. We're just waiting for them to play. And it just, 
you know, you're just, you're looking at everything else and you understand they exist on a different level than the rest of the conference. And we can jump on these big old spreads on the underdog and hope that we get a, a backdoor cover or a defensive touchdown along the way. But I don't know, man, we're counting down till December 19th, I think in the sec. Yeah, and I do feel like that game will probably serve as like a de facto kind of elimination game for both of their Heisman candidacies. Yes. <laughs> like the loser of that game, no, you're not going to win. Oh, and while we're on the subject, because it was announced to say that like the Heisman will be announced, I think on January 5th yeah. is the date. And I saw people like saying, well, then because the voting ends in like December. And I saw some people asking, well, why can't the voting go until January? And it's like, no. It should end in December after the championship games because if you extend it to the playoff, the only thing that will matter in the Heisman race at the end is who played best in the semifinal that day before. So let's let's keep the recency bias out of it and let it stick to the actual season. Yeah, they announced the finalists on the twenty fourth. Mm-hmm. So and I think I think the final day for voting is the twenty first, but I might be off on that. I mean, I hope you know. I haven't gotten the email. I'll get the email. Okay. Then I'll know. Are you a Heisman voter? Yeah. yeah and it, I'll get like one of the nine emails with like the blood samples and the fingerprints you have to submit to submit your ballot. I think yeah. it's, it's Tom more actually to has to for the Heisman yeah, than it is for president. He's actually got to do a COVID test, even though he has to submit it via email. It's fascinating. <laughs> the Heisman oh. trophy really demands the most out of their voters. Uh, mm-hmm. The utmost integrity in that process Shout out to uh, Chris Houston and the fam. <laughs> if you, if anything's up for grabs, Barton and I are here, Chris. We're here. I'm a Belichick voter, and I thought I was pretty. I thought I was pretty sweet. Get no, to vote, vote for, for the Belichick, and then I realized like every member, <laughs> like like I think my dad just like got a Belichick vote somewhere along the way. <laughs> I, think, I think like my wife just got like a invitation in the mail. I am appreciative of getting the program from the event in Tallahassee that I don't go to every year just to see who the keynote speakers were. <laughs> right. I will say, I think, you know, I've got a Heisman vote. I've got a Blitnikoff vote. I've, I vote for the, you know, I vote for a bunch of awards, but I think that the, the, the one that made me the happiest was when I got an email from the Ray Guy Award asking me if I would be interested in voting for the Ray Guy Award. And I was like, you're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to get into the best punters. Coming up on the other side, imagine betting an Ole Miss under and mm. Penn State, a diagnosis Next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. 
To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we talked about quarterback being a limiting factor for Notre Dame and quarterback is 100% a limiting factor for Penn State, but it feels like the issues are even deeper than that because we made a change at quarterback um, and, you know, it's uh, it's Will Levis. Hold on. Will Levis, right? Yep. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Will Levis. I, I, I call him Levi's every single time I see him on the TV because Penn State's been a second and third screen option for me for uh, most of the season and uh and that boy that boy is not as uh, all american as a, a pair of jeans i can tell you that right now because <laughs> he was not able to bring the uh bring the goods for the nittany lions in relief for sean clifford i it, what do we do with this team how deep does this go is james franklin because i thought about this uh barton you made an awesome comment about the the wikipedia grid because we all do it, right? Everybody who works uh, in college football and talks about coaches, we always just go to their Wikipedia page because Wikipedia does a great job of pulling up the grid so you can just real quickly see all their finishes. And it, are, are we going to really be able to overlook what this is going to look like for James Franklin and for Penn State at the end of this? Because this is going to be bad. And it sure seems like, uh, the players on that roster, and I am not there, so this is an unfair observation, but it seems like it is appearing as though they're fine being bad. They, do, You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, oh, we suck. Okay. You know, the what's the... Um, yeah, like water boy, like, oh no, we suck again. Like it's kind of, like, I don't know when the last time the Penn state sucked was, but it sure seems like everybody on that roster says, yeah, well this stinks, but okay, we'll just get through this. I mean, are, are we going to be able to overlook this season when we're talking about Penn state or do we have the same kind of ramifications long-term that we're talking about with Michigan? I mean, I think, again, I go back to the, the initial point on the ramifications. Like, I don't think, I'm obviously, I don't think James Franklin is, is going to get fighters on the hot seat. But like this season, it doesn't matter what the excuses are for being bad. Like the record's going to be the record and that's going to stand. And the repercussions from that are going to be real. And so they got to get this figured out. I, I was thinking like, I mean, it's a very like the so last week it was a weird one because last week they just got absolutely just just mop stuffed by Maryland and th- this week was another weird like and then they had the Ohio State game how do you measure that because Ohio State might be one of the best two teams in the country um, 
the Indiana game we talked about, like they really they totally outplayed Indiana for every every series of the game except for the last one. Um, and then there's this one, which was a game in which they their quarterback gifted Nebraska ten points basically, mm-hmm. um, and they scored Nebraska scored three points in the second half, and Penn State actually, I mean. You could make a case they did show fight in the second half. I mean, they they battled back and had a chance to tie the game, and they just didn't. Now you can you can you can call it the play calling. You know, the red zone. Um, there there were some serious red zone issues. Like Tom, you made a great comment in our text thread. Like I think you said they like all the things they do they they do to get to the red zone. They stop doing once they get in the red zone. Um, and I agreed with that. And like, so th- those issues were there. One thing I was thinking about is the quarterback position is the problem there. Right. And so I wonder if like James Franklin's career as a head coach has been like, uh, Jordan Rogers at Vanderbilt, Austin Carter Samuels at Vanderbilt. They got, they inherited Christian Hackenberg, who was a freakazoid talent but wasn't really that good of a player then they they replaced him with Trace McSorley limited but incredible leader and Moxie Moxie, Moxie McSorley right? Moxie and McSorley so, they, so, so you got Moxie Carter Samuels and you got Moxie Rogers and then you got Moxie McSorley and now you got Moxie Clifford and I just wonder if like the like the expiration date on the Moxie has run out and Moxie Moxie can only get you so far or like Moxie's going to, you know, if you keep on banking on Moxie, Moxie's going to bite you at some point. And like, right. Now, Cause cause all you would hear about Clifford before he was a starter was this guy's a phenomenal leader. This guy's got it. This guy is yada, yada. And it's like, all right, well, but he can't, he can't complete a pass though. And he doesn't take care of the football. And, and so we've always talked about Penn state needing that, elite quarterback prospect and I just wonder if this is the first year that there's been a realization that well we you know maybe we can't just sort of like evaluate some guy and and get him in here and and build this thing around and maybe maybe we need to just you know fire all our guns at the transfer portal or the five stars or whatever and and figure it out now that's not totally fair because I mean they had Justin Fields committed at one point he decommitted like they've it's not like they haven't taken their swings but I, I just I don't know. It's it, it it feels like the this is one one Moxie quarterback too many. Yeah, like Moxie can get you nine and three. And if you've got a good enough team around Moxie, he can get you like a division title and maybe maybe even a Big Ten title. But if your goal at Penn State is to compete with Ohio State on an annual basis and to compete for playoff spots, Moxie's not it. And I think that you're right. I think that they I don't know if reevaluate is the right word because I don't think that you need to break it to James Franklin and his staff that, hey, the quarterback's an important position. But I do think that they probably need to stress it more because he really has done a very good job overall of recruiting to Penn State and increasing the talent level of that roster because it's a very, very talented team in pretty much every area of the field. 
except at quarterback. And I don't think we we're in a position anymore in this sport, the way that it has evolved in the last few years where you can afford to do that, unless you just want to be like the try hard nine and three team that, you know, every once in a while wins 10 or 11 games. Every college football coach watched Trevor Lawrence against Joe Burrow and realized, well, if I don't have somebody that's going to make a difference at the quarterback position, I don't know why we're trying to set our sights for that. I don't know. It's a lot. It, it's a lot for Penn State fans to digest. And I feel like right now the Pults and Penn State fans, mailbag is always open. Let us let us hear it. Five star rating. Leave your review of the show and then give us your questions or your thoughts on the season. Might get included in a future mailbag episode, but you know, we've got a lot of uh Penn State coworkers. And I, I kind of feel like they're just in the helpless uh, point right now. Like in whatever the sad voices in our ears during HQ. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I mean, it is a weird, it's like, this is a very, I think of, of all the disappointing seasons, this Penn state one is the weirdest. Like, like if I was a fan of it, I wouldn't, I, I would have the most conflicted emotions on like trying to understand how I'm supposed to feel about this because there's been, you know, basically one game that just looked horrible. Yeah. They haven't figured out how to win the other ones. The program has generally looked like it's in a really healthy place prior to this season. But this season has I mean, they're 0-4-0-4. So, I don't know. I don't know how deep in the pits they need to be or or not. Like I, it's, uh, but like I said before, 0-4 is still 0-4, and it's still going to have 0-4 type repercussions. So It, it is a preseason top 10 team that is 0-4. Yeah. Like New Year's Six Bowl winning top 10 team going to Ohio 4. State contender 0 4. Mm. Uh, all right. So, what about Indiana? Is Indiana good? Oh, don't ask me like that. Because here's the thing like, I do not want to rain on the parade of the Indiana fans who have never really had a good football team. Having a team that is, you know, off to a four zero start is going to be ranked in the top ten. I shut like out Ohio- a shutout. I mean, a shutout yeah. on the road in Big Ten play against but, Michigan State. But yes, and I think that Ohio State will do a very good job next week of letting us know <laughs> how good Indiana really is. But because listen, all right, Michigan. Michigan State and Penn State. Let's look State. at the team Indiana's have beat, though. They've beaten Penn State, who is 0-4. They've beaten Michigan, who is 1-3. They've beaten uh, Michigan State, who is 1-3. And, and who's their other win against? I can't remember now. Anyways. Rutgers. Rutgers, who's 1-3. So the combined record of the teams that Indiana has beaten is 3-13. and 13. So, well. oh, yeah. Yeah, but you're three and three and uh, three and nine against teams not in Indiana, not named Indiana. All right, so but. you've got uh, a very sensible approach to this, but I'm taking the only like if we're talking about the Penn State fan, the Indiana fan is on the opposite end of this. The Indiana fan doesn't need to be told how to feel about this. The Indiana fan knows how it feels about it because <laughs> the Indiana fan has just notched wins over Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. The Indiana fan is freaking rolling right now. 
But here's the thing. There is going to be a nine-year-old in Bloomington, Indiana, calling me fraudulent Fernelli in a couple of weeks. Yes. Because if there's a fraudulent team right now, it's this one. Because this is, it's been, they've, everything they've gotten, they've earned, they deserved. Yes, they were outplayed in the Penn State game and they got, they ended up winning it. Fine. They've deserved every other win wholeheartedly. It's just, they've gotten, they've, they've done it in ways that aren't sustainable. Currently, including today's game, Indiana's offense has gone three and out on 34 and a half percent of its possessions, which improved a lot today against Michigan State, but still ranks 91st nationally. The average distance of Indiana's touchdown drives this year has been 53.2 yards. That is the shortest of all 120. Good defense and special teams. Played. That's all I hear right now. It's good defense. They and special score teams. off of turnovers. <laughs> if you turn the ball over against Indiana, they have done a phenomenal job of making you pay for it. It's just you can't live like that. At some point against Ohio State next week, a team that is not going to turn the ball over four times, you're going to have to drive the ball 80 yards every time to get touchdowns. They haven't proven they can do that yet. So who is listen, who, who, who is Ohio State beating? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, say, that, say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> who, who, who has Ohio State beat? Nobody. You're right. They're the same. Ohio State. Fraudulent. Be, fraudulent. Yeah, it's, it's a, let's make it a pick them right now, Barton. Do you want Indiana or Ohio State? <laughs> just make Just saying. But I'm just yep. saying, though, like when you look at stats like that, I'm not saying you need to feel bad about it. I'm not saying you don't deserve to be 4-0. I'm saying that the way you've gotten to 4-0 is not sustainable. You need to figure out how to do it on offense. You need to figure out how to move the ball 80, 75 yards to score against good teams if you want to keep doing this. Now, granted, the Big Ten's a mess, so you might not have to be that much better than you've been to finish 9-7-1 or seven and one this year, but it's just... The, the metrics do not tell the same story as the undefeated record or that number 10 next to its name. And I'll just leave it at that. Well, Indiana um, against Michigan State. I just, just want to say these numbers out loud. Michigan State had 131 passing yards and 60 rushing yards. That equates to 191 total yards. That is, that's a really low number. Mm-hmm. 3.7 yards per play. Fewer yards per play than they were allowed against Iowa. Half as many yards per play as they're allowed against, against Michigan. Fewer than they were allowed against Rutgers. Um, I mean, we're, we're in this place where, like, here, okay, so, so remove Ohio State from the equation then. All right. Just, Let's just talk about the rest of the Big Ten. Are they the third best team in the Big Ten? No. I think both Wisconsin and Northwestern are better than they are. Okay. All right. Fine. But, like, what's the difference between Northwestern and Indiana? Northwestern's offense has been able to move down the field and put together drives and score touchdowns without getting short fields and turnovers. Well... Did they do that against Nebraska? Did they they did that against Maryland? I'll grant you that. Did they do that against Nebraska? They didn't exactly like go off on uh, 
on Purdue today. No, but the, the average distance of their touchdown drive has been 63.4 yards or a full 10 yards more per touchdown drive than Indiana's. But that can't, that's not Indiana's fault that they're getting short fields. It's not. What do you want to do? Back the ball up? No, like, it's not. I'm just saying Northwestern has played a more sustainable style. Okay. All right. All right. Are you playing half-court basketball? Got to take it out of the three-point line? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So what so about... Now we're, now we're speaking in language Indiana fans can understand. But up. <laughs> what about... Uh, Chip's the Florida hater. Tom's the Indiana I'm not an Indiana hater. I'm just a realist. They're going to lose by 35 next week, man. <laughs> All right, so did Northwestern uh, do anything to validate their spot as a top 25 team at Purdue? They won on the road against a 2-0 team. I mean, they're, they're, they're fine. Like, Northwestern's fine. Yeah, they're 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 perfectly adequate football team. I can't feel confident putting Northwestern ahead of Indiana the way that that game went because Purdue could have won that game. Mm. Purdue could have, yes. So but I don't. I never really felt like Northwestern was in danger. That's true. I never, and I I had Northwestern minus three in the in the locks, and I never really felt like my cover was even in danger. Um, what about yeah? But they only they only had two like they they had they Northwestern averaged three point eight yards per play, mm-hmm. like they only had two hundred ninety two yards of offense in the game. Mm-hmm. Like they're not exactly confidence inspiring. No, I mean, but, but they're but they're they're good. They know who they are. They're fine. They figure it out. They're whatever. But I mean, Northwesterns they're not like they're not LSU. <laughs> no, but I mean, like they also held Purdue to point one yards per carry. Yeah, yeah, they I will do that. North North Northwestern will do that. They will hold you to point one yards per carry. Mm-hmm. Um, is USC the worst undefeated team in the country? I thought someone. I can't remember who had this tweet. Someone had a great. Uh, it was um. Uh. Anyways, I don't. I can't remember who had it, but. Northwest, like USC might win the Pac-12 and their fan base is going to be furious. Like there's no bit more disappointed 2-0 fan base in the country right now. Somebody was asking me if Lynn Swan was going to be a guest picker on game day because he's an Augusta National member and I couldn't remember whether he was ousted from, because uh, he resigned officially, but I couldn't remember whether he resigned amid the Aunt Becky scandal or whether it was just like the fact that when Clay Helton was on the hot seat, he was signing autographs across the country, not paying attention to the football program. But I just either way figured that Augusta National membership was not going to get enough to get Lynn Swan on ESPN talking about the Trojans. <laughs> go ahead no no i was just i mean like so they they like they didn't look good they didn't look good Mm. last week they didn't look good this week and and arizona is a worse team than arizona state i just can't imagine arizona was that good no they almost beat them well joe clatt and gus were talking about it did did, does kanan slovis look healthy to you i mean doesn't look good he doesn't, yeah. look, he doesn't look like himself. That's because, like, a lot of his throat, like, there's just been no zip on his ball. 
Do we have any reports or like information to suggest that he's been banged up or dealing with something? Not that I've seen. Me neither. I, all I could see was with my eyes. I've seen a lot of, saw a lot of, you know, your uh, your Kyle Trask paper plane throws from Kadan <laughs> Slovis today, which I'm not used to seeing from him last year. It's not like he's ever had like a rocket arm or anything, but it was just looked like some Philip Rivers action out there, like late late Philip Rivers. I think um, the the thing about this, like the thing that's the the issue here with USC, is this is the most talented team that they're gonna have in a few years. Like this is the least talented team they've had in a few years. And it's the most talented team they're going to have in a few years. Like, do you know what I'm saying? So if they have a bad season this year, which whatever, they got two, two games out of the way, they got two wins under their belt. They're only going to have four more games. Um, so what's, what's the worst that could happen. But if, if they continue to be the team that they appear to be through the first couple weeks of the season, it's not going to get better next year. And so if Clay Helton somehow gets to five and one this year, maybe gets to the Pac-12 championship game, gets another year, gets a contract extension, whatever it is, it's only going to get worse um, because their talent they've been bringing in over the last two seasons. And then this one is not great. And they've not been doing well with the great talent. So what's going to happen when they don't have the great talent? And with wins against Arizona State and Arizona – they are on their way to getting a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. <laughs> Is there some, uh, well, I don't know. Call Carl Durrell and the Colorado boss. Colorado's good. Standing in the way. Colorado is good. Are you I, not in? Oh, no. I'm, come on. I am in. I just, yeah, it's completely unexpected i mean i am like, gonna say shout out to emory hunt because he threw that out as a money line sprinkle on cbs sports hq mm-hmm. and i was like you know what <laughs> colorado might deserve some attention right here and stanford does not deserve to be a touchdown plus favorite what was it, like eight eight and a half yeah and i was like nah that's that might be a spot where we start to see things get a little bit dicey sure it's, enough man as soon as he said that on the show, I was like, ooh, oh, yeah, that's a good pick. <laughs> that's a good pick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. And Tom you. said it on CBS Sports HQ. He said, yeah, Emery, I like that. I might be sprinkling some of my own on that. I didn't even, that thought never even crossed my mind. And as soon as he said it, I was like, huh. Yeah, like it's weird. Like, because <laughs> you, you just look at the slate and like you just gloss over Colorado because we've all. Yeah. programmed ourselves to be like, oh, Carl Durrell didn't get started to like April and the Carl Durrell is no good and Colorado wasn't any good last year and like there yeah, yeah, and like and then as soon as Emory like said that and sort of allowed you to like entertain the possibility that they could win, you're like, well, like that does that make sense? Like that's probably gonna happen. Right. And, <laughs> and it so, did. Yeah, and it yeah did. Stanford Stanford's kind of garbage he might have a point <laughs> yeah and and again it is not a just stanford is garbage take it is colorado is playing some good football they don't seem to be overwhelming me like when i look at the depth chart or when i see them out there but i mean they played all right man they they might hell they might be the second best team in the south it's all said hell they might be the best because who knows when arizona state's even going to see the field again uh, note from uh, Coca 
speculation is that Slovis is dealing with shoulder injury issues from last year's bowl game against Iowa. Possibly, although that's what that game was in January. Or was that late December? It was late December. So it's been like 11 months. It was the night before LSU, Oklahoma, I think. I don't know. I, I feel these, like it, if these, that. I was going to say, if that is it, if it's related to an injury from 11 months ago, then that's probably an injury you should have had fixed surgically by now. You know, maybe these, uh, maybe these Southern California types need to get off like the organic holistic healing processes because between Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels, these dudes are not healing <laughs> up. Like just get on some oat milk and like get, get, get a new, Get a new physical therapist because I don't know what's taking these guys so long. You sa- dirt on it, you baby. Yeah, yeah. You you sound like, uh, and I don't know if the Patriots fans are doing this, though I, I wouldn't put it past them. That it sounds like all the Panthers fans when Cam got hurt is like, well, you know, it's because he's vegan, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, because you know that like Charlotte's kind of part of South Carolina, and so it's like all of South Carolina. Vegan you know, culture, you know, not exactly. You know, crossing you know what the most amazing part of that is? What? That I didn't know Cam Newton was vegan. And oh. usually if somebody's a vegan, you know they're vegan because it's the first thing they tell you. Tell you kind of like it. fish fans and Stevie no. Dan fans. Yeah, he's... <laughs> He, he, he keeps it clean. Well, it's because you don't uh, translate all of his Instagrams from that other language that he writes in. <laughs> Deep Cam Newton takes. Uh, all right. The Miami Hurricanes won at Virginia Tech as an underdog, as a top 10 team when Virginia Tech was unranked. When they beat NC State the week before, kind of felt like it was like, all right, Derek King had his moment. That defense didn't play well. Derek King put the team on his back. He was able to carry that team to victory. So Miami is still a one-loss team. They're still in the ACC championship race. They don't have a head-to-head game against Notre Dame, but they do have a head-to-head loss against Clemson. So honestly, odds are not good for them to be able to make it to Charlotte. But at the same time, it feels like it's a group that's been playing with fire. And yet, as I say, playing with fire in recent weeks, I kind of felt like this was a a decent win for them because Virginia Tech kind of had that game one and I thought that its defense was able to stand up after getting a little bit exposed early, but I don't know. Like Miami carries a top 10 ranking. I don't consider them a top 10 team, at least in terms of, man, I'd love to see this team compete for a national championship, but I also don't have a great argument for them being, uh, you know, decisively on a different tier than some of those other uh, teams, like in Oklahoma State, for example. Like, I think Miami's better than Oklahoma State. I'll throw that one out there. But, uh, and I thought that today's win was a big part of that. So what do we think of the Canes? I I don't think it was a pretty win. I think it was kind of an ugly win. But I also think that was the kind of game or kind of win that Miami just doesn't usually get. Like that was the kind of game where Miami would usually lose and it would begin the snowball effect of, okay, that's the first of the, here comes the three game losing streak that we completely throw the canes out for the rest of the season. So I, I thought it was, like I said, it was an ugly win, 
but I think it was a big win. I still think, though, like you said, it's a very it's very much a long shot that they can get to the ACC title game because they either need Clemson to lose again and Notre Dame to lose twice. But I still think that if they even want to get to that level and be a top 10 team, like as good as Jarrett King is, they need somebody else on offense to help carry the load, especially like Brevin Jordan was back today, but when, if whether Brevin Jordan's playing or not, and they were also missing 13 starters, I think, or not. Oh, starters, they got COVID issues. Yeah. For they sure. were missing 13 players today. So that's even a bigger part of the fact that they were able to win that game, despite being down all those players. But I, I just think that whether it's Cameron Harris or somebody in the receiving core, somebody needs to step up. So dear King, doesn't have to do it all because we've seen what happens when you run into a defense like Clemson or one of those top teams that can actually take him out of the equation. Miami has no counterpunch, so they need to find a counterpunch. But I do think that this was a huge win for them. And I, I kind of agree with you. I know Barton's about to tell us we're both morons, but I do think that I, I, I would take Miami over Oklahoma State on a neutral field. And that's, I guess it's, it's a reasonable take. I'm not. I don't think you're a moron for it. I, I disagree. I, I I would still trust Oklahoma State a little more. I think, um, but we all know like where my allegiance lies there. I I think the thing like the thing about Miami is it's 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 I'm really conflicted here on how like a I I do think that they deserve credit for for winning and figuring it out and and um you know they've had some close calls but they won and they are sitting here with one loss they only lost to the number one team in the country or what number four team in the country whatever Clemson is now um and yet like you said like it doesn't feel like they're like really necessarily like a top 10 team in the traditional sense of the phrase they do feel like they are still like any day now they're going to have their loss and even if and when that comes, I, I don't think I, I think that's going to come. And yet, I don't think I just I should jump up and down and say I told you so when it comes because whatever, it's still a good season. It's still they've they've gotten through it. The question for Miami is always going to be about sustainability and sustainability through the season, sustainability year over year. And the, the I do worry about the sustainability once Derek King's gone. And uh, so not to sidestep this season, um, because, again, they're, they're welcome to sort of wade in the, the bask in sort of this success they're having right now. But I just I think it's a little bit fleeting. And I think they need to make sure they got a game plan for after this, because uh, I don't think they're going to win an ACC championship. I don't think they're going to be in the in the college ball playoffs. Uh, and I do think Derek King is gone next year. And so is Jalen Phillips, by the way, probably, who is playing like. Mm. Uh oh. He gone. I think Georgia Tech, Wake, North Carolina, one of those is going to get him. Tar Heels. Yeah. You see uh, fourth quarter, Sam Howell turn it on. 35 straight points to close the game against Wake <laughs> I didn't Forest. I watch any of that game. That, that game is an affront to human decency. Oh, come that on, wasn't man. Even football. That was just a seven on seven drill and nothing more. Let's move on to a football game. I, so the funny thing about uh, my strongest takeaway from North Carolina Wake Forest is, uh, and this is a, a shout out to Connor O'Neill who covered Wake Forest and sort of knows that offense, Dave Clawson, the way they've been running it. It is they are so committed to counting the numbers up that it's 
even if Wake Forest is running the ball well on you, if you stack the box, they stop running it. And right now they're limited with playmakers at the wide receiver position. Donovan Green is great. He's like their number one wide receiver threat. Uh, they are missing Sage Surratt. But it's like they were running the ball well with Christian Beale Smith and Kenneth Walker against North Carolina. So North Carolina started stacking the box and Wake Forest just stopped running it. But it is worth considering that if Wake Forest had kept running it, this North Carolina defense, which had given up a lot of big runs to a lot of teams throughout the season, might still have given up those runs. But just because they are so darn committed to counting the numbers and that determines the RPO, it's like, well, that's... That's that's the way you live and die by it, right? You live and die by the system. Is that the true trust the process? Is the Wake Forest offense that is sitting out here that should be running the ball because it's the thing they do better than passing, but they stop doing it the second that you make one, you drop a safety down? I don't know. It was, it was a funny turn of events as North Carolina ran off 35 straight points because it did feel like North Carolina was going to continue to score even as Wake Forest went up by 14, but it was Wake's inability to continue to score that probably was the most stark in that game. Is that Dave Clawson? Discipline. <laughs> uh, I, I think he was... Uh, I tweeted this. I think he's. I think he saw... He was I in Ann Arbor. Oh, the Michigan. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) He was ready. He was ready. He he sized himself up for some maize and blue sport coats. And then North Carolina started rattling some more points off. Um, Nice call on the over, by the way. That was a fun one. That hit. That was. There was a great tweet. Someone tweeted at me uh, something like, uh, Sir. Um, report from Chapel Hill says we'll have the uh, the over taken by halftime or something like that. <laughs> like uh, the over the army. Over, the over army. Yeah. Break it, break it, one five. Break it, break it, one five. We we'll, should have the over taken by halftime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said it funnier. He said it funnier than I did, but it was it was a good time. Yeah, he said the, he said the over army should have shall have taken Chapel Hill by halftime. Um. There you go. Yeah. No. North Carolina overs keep rolling. Uh, this is, I, I think it was this one in the Virginia tech game were both locks for me, uh, where well, by midway through the over team midway through the third quarter, I was just dancing the jig all the way down to cover town. Yeah. <laughs> but do you guys remember when wake, like the, the old meme of, um, uh, Frank Beamer with his hands up at the end of regulation zero, yes. zero, yes. like wake you, Early in the Clawson tenure, Wake could not score at all. It was Mike Elko's defense was the only thing that was getting them by, and they couldn't get any points on the board. And now, all of a sudden, like Wake's a fun watch. Now. Yeah. They get after you. Yeah, they play with tempo. They got and, – and Sam Hartman is doing the Jamie Newman, I'm going to keep it at the mesh point for about 2.5 seconds mm-hmm. to freeze the linebackers and see how this goes and see if I can hit the slot receiver. Like, he's – He's he's right there in that school of anxiety. It's like he's taking the running back's pulse. He's holding it there for so long. Did you guys watch uh, Get Eyes on Ole Miss, South Carolina? Yeah, we we got to talk about this game before we get out of here. I guess we, we should talk about for Oregon too. <sighs> I was it a good game? It was fun. I mean, it was fun. It was awesome. 
It was it was ridiculous. It was uh uh what's the what's the South Carolina running back's name? Kevin Harris. Kevin Ip. Um I mean, he rushed for over two hundred yards um and just just could get anything he wanted on that old miss defense. Uh they it, but at the same time, like the old miss offense was was just on fire. And Lane Kiffin had a fourth and ten in the like inside the red zone that he went for it late in the game and, and they scored. Uh the you know I mean the a, chart flipping up is iconic. Through the play card, <laughs> through the play card up in the air like forty five feet as like in the middle of the play as um Elijah Moore had like a seventy yard touchdown reception. I mean um, you went back and saw that clip, right? I mean, yeah. we realize that that is, it looks like a trash bag or debris that has floated onto the field. And it is not debris. It is the head coach of an SEC football team throwing his play card in the air in celebration, which is the sequel to the Amari Cooper call the touchdown way before it happens when he's the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Like this dude is OOC. He's out of control. I mean, he is on an iconic level of meme ability in the sec football world. Here's a theory. Prove it wrong. Their defense sucks because Lane wants them to suck because he just wants to get the offense back out there as quickly as possible. He's on offensive coordinator mode in NCAA 14, or he yes. just wants to get as many He's XP just simulating points. through until he can get to call plays again. <laughs> That's exactly right. But it's, it's, it's all good for the brand. It's yes. all, every, it's all, it, it's, it's like even the play card, throwing a thing up there, like, the first thing he he must not have been out of the press conference. He might not have, he might have been in the press conference, and he was retweeting the videos of the of the <laughs> play sheet going up in the air with like comments like "Come to the sip" or whatever, like "Nice hang time" at his punter. You know, like um, it's it's just it's all part of it, man. He's got he's he's this is the way he's living. All right, what else from uh, the weekend? Did you guys watch Oregon at all? Not much, honestly. I thought I, I thought I was gonna get a money line sprinkle hit for a while there. I was I mean they, they were kind of just kinda hanging around there for the first three quarters before turning down in the fourth quarter. So I don't know. I was I was kind of impressed with taking away from their offense. I thought the offense looked good. I thought the defense was kinda, you know, it had hits and misses, but I I, I felt like offensively I was I think that team's legit. All right, so Shuck had 300 passing yards. Should I like all of a sudden feel better about him? I do. Okay. Not just ba- it's just watching him play. I was like, okay, that's what I mean. Like statistically, he's going to come out of it, and you're like, hey, look, good game for Tyler Shuck. But I can't say that in my passing glances. Like I've seen the worst snaps mm-hmm. as I've been flipping around. I don't feel like I've gotten a good feel for Tyler Shuck yet. You know, I, I think Oregon looks pretty good. That's they're, my, they're that's a, my deep take. They're a run team. You know? CJ like Verdell just running behind the offensive line, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but like, I think that's what Moorhead wants to do too. Like he, you know, it's, it's just, uh, he's, uh, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't know Tyler Shuck was that athletic. I didn't know that he could be like a featured part of the run game. Um, and that's how they're using him. And so I think all that past stuff is just coming as, as, uh, a supplement as a compliment to what they're trying to do in the run game, but they're, you know, they're getting stuff. Uh, Jaden Lahr is going to be a fun one though. The true freshman from uh, Washington state. He's kind of a, 
he'll just sort of flip it out there like underhanded side arms. You know, he's throwing hundred miles an hour all the, you know, every doesn't matter where the guy is. So I think Washington State's going to be fun. I think Jaden Delora is going to be fun, but Oregon took care of business. Oh, don't forget. We've got Sunday football. Are we gonna are we gonna have a reaction pod for that game tomorrow? UCLA Cal or it's yeah Cal UCLA a game that got scheduled like seventy two hours. Why is that? It why is it at nine a.m. Um, to beat the NFL rush. But that but that's the thing. It's not going to beat the NFL rush. It's going to start and then the NFL starts an hour later. Why? Well, it's their only chance, though, right? I guess. Yeah. I know. That's. I mean, give give it a get an hour head start. Maybe you get a couple people that want to finish the game. But who? I mean, who gives a shit? You're literally scheduling the game on a minute's notice just because you want to get the game in. Who cares about who's going to watch it? You I'm know just I mean? fascinated by the by this whole like they just schedule the game thing because, I mean, all week like you're drawing up play cards for like the other team's defense. You're Obviously, you're like watching like film all day on Sunday as a coaching staff, like to prepare for Monday's practice meetings, to prepare for Tuesday's practice. Like the whole week is built around a game plan for one team, and now you're just gonna like throw it, rip that up, and have a new game plan for this weekend. Um, Sounds like the under. What's the what's what are the, what's the line of that? I, I might just jump all over Cal. I just sort of trust trust Justin Wilcox here in this deal. The line is currently at Cal minus three and a half or four. Okay, I like that. <laughs> might, might have to play that. Like right now, like go ahead and let's get it in. No, and no, wait, wait to see who's playing first. <laughs> And fire. We're in on Cal. There we go. No. <laughs> you don't you don't know what that, that county's gonna do to them. Somebody might know somebody might be related to somebody who had COVID and the whole team's gonna get shut down. So do we think that anybody catches DJ? Are we talking golf now? <laughs> we haven't even talked about haven't even talked about the, the fighting Illini. Pick it up their first win of the year over mighty Rutgers. You want to talk golf? Okay, cool, cool. I mean, I so JT could go low. I think that Rom and Reed are a little bit too far out. Kind of feel like it's an inevitability. Like we're just, I mean, we're just gonna be crowning a champion. Second major for DJ. Good for him. All that matters to me at this point, because I don't, yeah, I, I think DJ's going to win. So I'm, I've given up on all my, my win futures there. But all that matters to me is that Sebastian Munoz, Corey Connors, Xander Shoffley, Webb Simpson, and I'm giving up on Brant Snedeker. But those other four just finished in the top 20, boys. Is, give, DJ, give cash. is DJ the one that's married to Gretzky? Yeah. Yes. And that's, that's, that's how Barton knows golf. <laughs> that's the, He's. That's the, He's got the best mental approach ever. Uh, Rory McIlroy said this week that uh, he he said, I'm not willing to say that it's the best mental approach to golf ever, but he says, he says, see shot, hit shot, see putt, hit putt. And then he forgets about it and moves on. Dustin Johnson, the pride of Myrtle Beach in coastal Carolina, just lives in the moment, bro. That's it. It just just a, it's just a party. He's just it's just a dude that parties, right? Isn't that kind of his deal? Well, like, kind of like 
he had to, there, there's like a, he got suspended from the PGA tour for kind of undisclosed reasons, or maybe it was a leave for personal absence. And there's a, there's a lot of debate as to what led to that. So I would say he parties less than he used to party, mm. but he's, he's a guy who knows how to party. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, when I, <laughs> he settled down. You know what I'm saying? Like he used to let it loose. He used to get chased out of some country clubs for chasing around some other people's wives. But like, you know, now he's kind of <laughs> tamed it down, got some kids. He's, he said they, they got him out there for that tailor made exhibition. He said, man, I'll tell you what, I haven't actually swung a golf club. I've just been on the boat with Paulina and the kids for the last two weeks. Like, I mean, you know, he's a family man now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good for him. Yeah. Happy for him. Yeah. Hope he wins his second major green jacket coming on tomorrow. All right. Anything else from the, uh, the notepad for college football? Uh, Oh, shout out to Tulsa for coming back from down 21 to SMU to get the win, kind of getting revenge because SMU came down from 21 against them last year to beat them. So now Tulsa is, what, 4-1, and one, and they're probably going to be ranked when the new polls come out tomorrow? Yeah, Tulsa's I've got- getting all the mojo that it was it was, it was was given up last year. Yeah. This, they the also got that fraudulent win against ECU. That's what I'm saying. All the bounces are going this way this year. Yeah. Last year, it got all, it got all, the breaks weren't. This year, the mojo's circling back around. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Ripping it out from our pirates, our beloved pirates. Our, our pirates. My pirates. Oh, your your bulls were getting. Speaking of the, speaking, speaking of the pirates, how about uh, how about Cincinnati just running it up? Oh, on ECU. See, I don't think. I, they, like Mike Houston and there was Mike Houston and Fickle. They had that long talk after the game. I don't think Cincinnati was running it up. It was senior night. Like Cincinnati ran that fake punt and, and Justin Williams, who covers Cincinnati for the athletic tweeted, like gave some context for it. The person who ran the punt has been practicing that punt with the team for the last three years. He's a senior. It was his last game. They finally had a chance to let him do it in the game. So they did it. So I, I I understand if you're ECU and you're Mike Houston why you're you're pissed off about it, but I don't think that was like like it was getting portrayed on the broadcast like oh this is revenge for let you know what I'm saying like last year no I think it was just senior night and they wanted to get some dudes some plays. No, I mean Mike, like you can miss me with the like stop running it up on my team stuff. Like I can't stand it when coaches get mad about that. Just just get a stop, Mike Houston. In 2016, beat Moorhead State yes. 80 to seven. <laughs> he beat Rhode Island 84 to seven. He beat Elon 63 to 14. He beats beat Sam Houston State 65 to seven. Just get a stop, bro. But but were those all senior nights? <laughs> who cares? I don't, who cares? I don't care. And by the way, I, I also on that punt fake, uh, they had like seven guys rushing on the right side. Mm-hmm. So that's like, why they ran it. Yeah, they had the yeah, look. Like the, yeah, because there was no one on the other side. So, so okay, we're not going to run this fake. We're just going to let you block our kick. How about that? Because <laughs> because we're good sports. Get out of here. 
uh, don't don't make me defend my coach. He was just you know emotional because they lost and be ashamed of your team. Competitive. I would never never be ashamed. Garbage from Buffalo. Why did you guys pick such garbage ass teams for your group of five teams? You know what? I first I didn't think there was gonna be. I didn't think there was gonna be a season. out here. I did not think there was gonna be a season. Thought it was a freebie. Do you remember who my number two choice was though? No, who was it? Kent State. But the only reason I didn't do Kent State was because I watched the Mac plenty as it is, and I'm already familiar with the Mac. I've grown, you know, it's it's Midwest. So I wanted to get outside of something I paid didn't pay close attention to. So I wanted to get to the AAC. Getting familiar with some ass beatings now. <laughs> I said that App State would be too easy, and App State almost lost to Georgia State today. That was a little bit of a narrow, uh, narrow win. For the Mountain to Robbie Callen, close call there. <laughs> close call there. So I don't, I don't know if I had any good uh, endings for whoever I was going to pick for my group of five team. Well, my team is two and zero straight up, two and zero against the spread. I would just say one and zero against Fernelli. <laughs> maybe, maybe ECU would do better if they sent me some free gear. That's you know, maybe they need some karma. I was listening to the pregame show on Friday night before uh, the Cincinnati game. And it's really funny when you've got like the broadcasters that have covered the team for decades and the former players that are on there. And he's like, you know, we've seen a lot of signs that things are going well under Mike Houston. Recently, it's not looking good. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's a real bugaboo right now just to see the way that we just can't get a stop. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how how hard coaching can be. Yeah, because Mike Houston is clearly a person that has had tremendous success over the course of his coaching career, but this isn't ECU's bad right now. Yeah, yeah, stinks. Follow ECU superfan Tom Fernelli at Tom Fernelli. Follow the Buffalo Bulls superfan at Barton Simmons. Follow still hanging on like I have so many times in Tampa before, just barely (laughs) hanging on (laughs) at chip underscore Patterson UCF super fan right here. Uh, The mailbag is open. We'll be dipping into the mailbag on Wednesday. Uh, Monday, we will be back at it. We'll be running uh, a full recap of all the big headlines from the weekend, as well as starting to do the early week 12 line look ahead, our Mac locks, all that's going to be coming on Monday. So make sure you subscribe to the cover three podcast. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. begun which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today in five part of the cbs sports podcast network join scott white chris towers and me frank samphill every monday through saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes we'll break down the biggest performers news and prospects who could make an impact this season make sure to download and follow on apple Podcasts, spotify the odyssey app and everywhere else podcasts are found